Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, I'm Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast and video cast about Foam Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman or at the Twitter account for the show at Cottage Talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We've got the U.S. chapter of the EPL Roundtable today with the three of us. Uh, Certainly a pleasure having you guys on. Um, I wanted to start off with the Liverpool match. And Russ, of course, we'll get to the Fulham stuff later. But this is not a Liverpool loss. Let's talk about how they lost. Let's talk about some of the larger issues at the club. And then we'll come to, to Fulham's big win later in the show. But Liverpool currently sitting in eighth after Tottenham's win today. They've lost as many league games this season, nine, as they had over the last three seasons combined. Obviously, really bad injury issues. We were just joking before the the recording button was pressed that anybody that's even thought about playing in defense for uh, Liverpool has been hurt this year. Obviously, big injury issues there. How much of their struggles do you think can be put down to injuries? And do you think there are other things that are kind of going on behind the scenes that are causing this really terrible run of form for them? Six straight losses at home. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, degree of collapse is truly unforeseen and quite honestly impressive at this point um but i I do think injury is the biggest factor um there may be some you know uh, internal drama i'm unaware of and none of us are privy to but i i do honestly think it's reasonable to chalk a lot of this down to injuries because not only are all the injuries at one position um a quite important position it's also in the season where any injury hurts you significantly more than it would have in previous seasons um because all the games are so squished together you know normally in a normal season uh, you have a three-week injury you're missing two to three games this one you're missing four to six um so both the degree the insane degree of the injury crisis and the season it's in i think makes it pretty significant that said this many losses in a row um at home is again like totally unforeseeable i think they've had a really awful combination of both um both injury luck uh some level of um under xg underperformance and just one once you start to get in a spiral especially in such a weird season where i can imagine how many of the players are you know no one's living a normal life uh, most certainly not the players i can imagine once you start to get down it's kind of hard to come out of a spiral um so it's kind of like the injuries and the uh not amazing luck has put them in a bad spot, which is just going to keep making itself worse and worse and worse, um, or kept, has made itself worse and worse and worse. Um, so I don't know how, what necessarily the long-term implications of this spiral is, but um, it is 
truly impressive and honestly pretty unlucky, I'd say. It's very interesting. And I actually agree with Dan when he talks about the spiral because losing can breed more losing. So once you start going down that path, it's hard to get off the path. But this is Liverpool we're talking about. I agree with Dan that injuries, I think, have played a, a huge role in this. But also, they were on such a trajectory, and they finally got over that hurdle. So I have to ask mentally how much of getting over that hurdle affected them coming into this season. Because, again, they've come so close, and they've now finally, well, not finally, they they obviously won the Champions League. They accomplished that a couple seasons ago, and then they win the league. And this is a strange time where we're living through the pandemic. And I'm just trying to think, once you've accomplished all that, it's probably hard to try to keep up that pace to, to keep going up because there's only one way and you're going to go down. You, it's hard to keep up that kind of pace. So then it goes back to something Dan said, like I said, is that re, you know once you start losing, it becomes infectious. Same thing with winning. You get that mentality, and it's difficult. You start pointing fingers. Maybe We don't know if they're pointing fingers, or, or maybe you start losing confidence. And, you know, these players have been playing a long time with each other, so maybe age has something to do with it as well. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to do with it. Henderson is getting up there in age. Mo Salah is 29. He's not that young anymore. So it's probably a lot of factors, but I don't think anyone foreseen this type of drop-off from Liverpool and, uh, you know, it's just it's small margins between winning and losing. And but once you start losing, those small margins can become big margins. Hmm. And if there's any season that you're, you know, more primed to maybe switch off, even just like two percent, it's yep. the one in a pandemic. When, That's right. When you had no re- you had no preseason, no rest, you're exhausted no from the season, no fans. If there's any season where all of that stuff is made worse, it's this one. Yeah, and, and that would certainly explain why it is such a historic drop um, from a club that, you know, w- went like 90 straight is <laughs> one of the best teams in the Premier League. And then obviously but they dropped feed off. off of that crowd, too. Kevin, For sure. We didn't really mention that. That's a factor, too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, th- I think you guys both hit the nail on the head with, with the spiral. I know this is a thing that Tottenham were dealing with during our terrible stretch from December until mid-February where... Uh, Part of the problem is when you have squad depth, which they've obviously been building up, is a lot of good players aren't starting. And once you start losing, psychologically, it's really hard to turn things around because unless the players that are starting do well in a match, then you're tempted to change because there are players on the bench that feel they could have impacted the match better. If you don't play them, they get into a negative headspace of why am I not playing? I could really help the team. The players that are playing know that they're at risk of losing their spot. And then you just rotate that back and forth and back and forth until you pick up a win big enough to kind of break yourselves out of that. I think for Tottenham, it was the Burnley match um, where Delhi was really frustrated that he wasn't playing. And then every player that started ahead of him scored or assisted a goal. And then then you're just like, oh, fair enough. They did a good enough job. So I, I think weirdly, this is a situation where mentality wise, squad depth can cause an issue because a lot of players deserve, a lot of players think they deserve to play, think they could impact the team in a positive way and then don't, and then there's a new batch that are probably communicating less well together because they haven't been playing together, and then you just start that whole thing. And, and yeah, it, it's hard to bring confidence into a cycle of lack of confidence. But uh, do you guys think that there's anything Klopp and Co. can do to turn that that cycle around this season? Or like we were saying, do we think mostly is it factors outside of his control this year? Um, I mean, if it, 
a lot of this kind of not stops, but it's improved significantly if they can just get the attack firing again, um, which uh, he, uh, it again, health is so out of his control. That's that's tough. Um, and then also the number of games. I, he, I don't know if this was a outward, I'm going to prioritize the, um, the 11 he played today was an outward statement of, I'm going to prioritize the Champions League, or he just thought he could get away with it against Fulham. Get away um, with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd, I don't know if there's anything he can do. A lot of it is, you know, it's tough because we're not, we're also not privy to any drama behind the scenes. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's anything specific he can do, but that's why he's paid to be a very good manager and not me. Um, but if they can just get the attack going again, it's probably enough, but I don't know how doable that is with um, the fatigue and the injuries and the age, as um, Ross brought up. Um, they're not young. No. Um, they, uh, it's uh, what's it? A podcast I listened to, Double Pivot Podcast, um, brought up an interesting point that a lot of these Premier League teams that aren't City and Chelsea, where they have and United with unlimited money pools, kind of relied on the uh, Real Madrids and Barcelonas to buy their superstars eventually, so then they could get that money and reinvest in younger guys. Um, and they never, they never came. Like they never came for. Kane at Spurs, which I mean, is fine for now, but never came for Salah or Mane. So now they kind of have aging 28, 29 year olds without the money to go and replace them um, that they would have normally gotten from Barcelona or Real Madrid buying them at 28. Um, so now they have guys who are still very good, but as you say, aging um, and they, the decline could happen. That may not be what this is. It may just be fatigue. And as we said, they haven't got much rest. Um, but that's another factor they have to work. They have to work around um, the fact that their guys are not young, and uh, any fatigue could be made worse by that fact. Yeah, it's a great point because as I brought up the age, I think that's a factor in all this. But when you have this fatigue, and like you said, the the lack of uh, time in between going from one season to another through this pandemic, it, it's all adding up, and it's affecting teams in all different ways. You know, you don't have to be a, a club that has COVID-19 run through it. Fulham have, but he, I think it affects all teams in different ways. And uh, But it's the teams that find a way to fight through all of this adversity. And for whatever reason, right now, Liverpool's not fighting through that adversity. Klopp is a great coach, but I don't know how you can turn it around right now. It might be, let's just get through to the end of the season. Let's prioritize other things right now. You know, Champions League, you know, other things right now. And we're just going to get through this and we'll start up again, hopefully with a more normal season. But this team isn't getting any younger. And th that's the bottom line. And I'm glad that Dan brought this up because in many cases, a lot of these players might have gone to Barcelona, might have gone to Real Madrid or even Bayern Munich. That's not happening right now. So, again, you're not able to invest in younger players. And I think for Liverpool, they're going to have to start investing in some younger players. I, I know that that their youth setup is excellent. So they're going to be fine. Mm. In the and a lot of those kids are coming through and having to play right now because of all the That's injuries. That's right. That's what you are, you are actually seeing, that you're throwing them into the fire. And honestly, they're not ready right now. They're going to be ready in a couple of years. And listen, there's a player in the future for Liverpool that I, I will say is, is, is going to be excellent. And that's Harvey, Harvey Elliott. He's down, yeah. he's down in Blackburn right now. I, 
I can just tell you he is quite the talent. So Liverpool will survive this. But I think right now, Kevin, it's about surviving. Yeah, interesting point. It sounds like a lot of people aren't really blaming Klopp. I think the only thing that could maybe be laid at his feet is the play style. When you play such an aggressive pressing game, when all the matches are so condensed, I think it's more likely that injuries will happen. I'm certainly not saying his players got hurt because of him. but Didn't he have that issue his first season? uh, Yeah, I believe so. Um, So yeah, that's definitely a thing to look at. But it it doesn't sound like any of us are blaming him. And of course, he's also had um, off-the-pitch family um, tragedies at, that we don't need to address here, but uh, just as we talk about what could be happening, you know, it, it's possible that just the fire in him is dimmed a little bit right now as he deals with a lot of personal stuff. So, uh, assuming that we don't think he's going to be gone soon, we'll skip that. And I'll ask you guys, where do you think Liverpool end in the table this season? Uh, it, uh, it's really tough because they're still not that far off uh, top four. Um, like they're only four points back at Chelsea, and again, they do still have talent. So I always, I my preference is always to bet on talent, but this is a this is a tough spiral to bet for. Um, I'll say they finish fifth or sixth uh, and just miss out. I'm actually going to agree with uh, Dan on that. You know, I I don't see them getting that fourth. Be- for the reason Dan just mentioned, I, I think it's too difficult. I know it's only four points, but but you're also asking other teams around them to start dropping points. And, uh, and seven them an of whom were ahead of them. <laughs> right. Leicester are probably the ones I think they're much better than, but they have so many points banked that it's kind of tough um, to catch them at this point. I mean, it's like 10 points isn't impossible, but 10 points in uh, was it, 11 games is it's tough. Oh, they yeah. actually do the game in hand. So it's mm. more like seven. And Leicester did do that last year. Um, yes, but- they did. But I, I wouldn't expect that. I, I agree with you guys. I think there are just too many teams. I, I'm, yeah. I, you know, you look at them: West Ham, Tottenham, Everton, Chelsea, Leicester. You could make a case that you know, talent-wise, they're better than all of those teams. But can they pass all of those teams? And just yeah, mathematically, it's like, it's like it seems... even if you know you have a sign a random number a four a forty-five percent chance of passing each individual team when you have to do that for like five different teams that dramatically it's a lot the odds. yeah exactly yeah. although i'm not going to bury them yet because if they snuck in at tottenham's expense or something like that i'd be heartbroken <laughs> so i'm not going to set up the fates to do me like that i wouldn't even be shocked <laughs> if they did but I, I don't think it's a good bet to say they will yeah yeah i think that's fair until we at least see some positive signs um, and, and one last thing is they have a lot of players that are just really out of form. Salah hasn't scored in four. He doesn't really look sharp. Uh, Mane isn't really scoring goals this season. Firmino seems more of, he's always been good in the buildup, but now it's starting to feel like that's the only thing he's good at. Um, so that, yeah, they're, they're just not, not hitting the strides. Tiago didn't come in and, and hit uh, the ground running as much as people probably thought. Obviously he came in and almost immediately got COVID, which derailed his entrance to the season. You have Kaita who's still, uh, yet to to hit the heights that people expected when he came over from Germany, it's it's a it's a weird time time for Liverpool. Oh, and then another the- effect of the injury crisis at centre back mm. is um, less freedom for the fullbacks, and that was obviously a huge part of their attack in the yeah, last couple. Because they're seasons. having to protect the back line more. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really a, a not good combination of things there at the moment. No. 
Um, next up, uh, let's talk about the upcoming friendlies. So they're going to be happening later in March, maybe. Uh, not just friendlies, also qualifiers. Multiple European clubs are already refusing to lease players for the coming international break due to the quarantine and travel restrictions because of COVID. Uh, has there been any word from your club on how you're going to be handling this situation? As far as I'm aware, there has not been. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I totally understand why clubs are fighting uh, hard to not send their players. Um, I guess for qual, even the qualifiers, it's just kind of, I don't know. I've never got the whole in, the point of international, especially friendlies um, during a time like this. Um, that kind of travel is just ridiculous. I don't get it either, and I haven't heard anything from a phone perspective on this, but right now, with the pandemic and uh, things still going on, why would you risk your players being in this? And, and uh, I love international football. I'm all for it, but is this really the right time for that? And I think the players are best where they are right now. Why risk it? So for me, I'm with Dan on this. I, I, don't, I, I don't see the benefit of it overall uh for for these players you know it just i know that you know we're we're all team specific but these these uh, players are people and i would hate to see them being put in any type of jeopardy like this i i, I think mm. this is just adding another layer to it they're already dealing with difficult situations we we don't talk enough about it but even within england you know again there's still a lot going on and I just think right now they should be staying put. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, from Tottenham, uh, Davinson Sanchez has already been um, reportedly told that he won't be leaving on the international break. Of course, Conmable um, saying that they won't be hosting their uh, qualifiers. So we'll see if that cascades. Do you guys think that FIFA needs to just take a step forward and just take all the blame and just say, hey, we're not going to do the qualifiers now. We'll figure it out later. Just just to remove individual clubs and players and countries from having to make these decisions all separately. I'd prefer that, yeah. Especially with like the next couple months um, in terms of vaccination. Like this is this is the time when we might actually be able to get lots of people vaccinated and really curtail the virus. But this seems like a time where, okay, just get rid of it for the next couple months. Let people let countries figure out the vaccination programs. And then we can go figure out um, our our matches later in like the second half of the year. Um, yeah, I'm, I know, I'm sure that'd be difficult logistically, but you know what? Lots of things are difficult logistically. It's a pandemic. Yeah, I'm I'm with Dan 100% on this because when you look at it, they should be stepping in, Kevin. They re- they they really should. I, you know that should be put on the back burner, as um, Dan said. The more people that get vaccinated, the better off we are as as a community world. And I think that's the thing that we should be focusing more on rather than the focus being on that. There's a time and place for that. But I think right now the focus should be on where they are right now, talking about the players, and just let them stay where they are and, and, and figure it out after the fact. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. There's just no need to be doing this right now. Uh, there are obviously still questions about whether the Euros or Olympics 2020 asterisk 2021, um, since both decided to stick with the 2020 branding, probably because of pens and merch already being made. Um, whether or not those things will be able to happen. If they aren't, um, maybe then you try to find a safe way to to make up the qualifiers. Then I, I do think logistically it's tough, as as you guys are saying. 
And I don't know what the solution is if there aren't those huge international tournaments in the summer. You know, there, there are at least smaller gatherings for, for qualifiers than there would be um, for the actual tournaments like the Euros. But we'll see how they handle all of that. But I, I certainly agree that FIFA just need to quell all of this by just saying that the, the coming international break just, just won't be happening. Uh, and I don't expect them to be able to fill all those matches with domestic leagues. I'm just thinking, you know, maybe give the players a week and a half off, uh, considering the season and, and all the injury issues we were talking about previously. Um, another international footballing association has come uh, under the spotlight again this week. Uh, Fulham uh, were cost a controversial point against Tottenham after a handball that literally was what the rule is written as, but that rule was terrible, uh, which is inadvertent handball in the box leading to a goal. IFAB have come out now and said that that was the wrong decision and that they are going to be reversing that rule, uh, but in the summer, so as to not change the rule in the middle of the season, although they've already changed the definition of a handball this season. So I'm curious from you guys, do you view this as progress, that we're slowly weeding out the technicalities and the rules that are have being amplified by VAR and made way worse? Or do you think that these constant updates are really just causing more confusion around what was already a pretty confusing rule? Can I say both? Um, sure. Like, I kind of think both. Because, um, yeah, that's one of the things with, um, even more so with um, VAR and video technology, um, is that these rules are going to have to undergo changes. So um, being present enough to to update them pretty constantly seems like a good thing. Um, but also, yeah, it's definitely going to be confusing. Um, and I feel I feel for refs um, who are going to have to um, relearn another definition over the summer. That I know feeling for refs is not a particularly common thing. But, um, but that's going to be tough. Um, so, yeah, I kind of feel like both. Uh, I, I think it's better to, um, to pay attention to constantly update the, the rule. Um, or maybe not constantly, but when there's significant, obvious um, problems with it, change it. Um, but also, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty confusing. Um, so that's not ideal either. Listen, this has obviously affected my club, and uh, I'm still feeling it even a few days later. The, the the Liverpool victory helps me a little bit, but I'm still feeling it. And uh, But, it listen, it just hasn't happened to Fulham. It's not, it, it's not a Fulham issue, but obviously – they decided to change it because the rule needed to be changed. Again, if anyone that watches the full match and you see Mario Lamina's arm next to him would know that there was absolutely nothing he could have done to the letter of the law. As Kevin said, it was the decision that needed to be made. But again, with VAR now, that's what's going on. So to what Dan said, yes, you're probably going to have to update it, but it's causing all kinds of problems because you don't know the players don't know all the rules. The players absolutely, you know, they're confused by it. So I think that you need to be updating, as Dan said, it, it, it's it's two problems at one. You, it's really a little bit of both, as Dan said. I, I'm sorry, I keep agreeing with you, Dan, but I do agree with this. Because it's fine, great for my ego. <laughs> <laughs> because when you look at it, you you need to be updating it based on what's going on because VAR keeps showing issues with some of these rules but the problem is the players don't know what's going on they they can't keep up with it including you know i've heard scott parker talk about some of these changes and and he's it's obvious that even probably the managers are are having a hard time keeping up with it so i think it's just a situation that we're in but for me personally 
the way it went down, it, it just it it hurt a great deal just because I knew that on the face of it, the the letter of the law, it was the right decision. And people blame VAR for it. it it's not VAR's fault. It, it's absolutely not VAR's fault. It is actually the rule itself, which they finally decided to change. But it's very frustrating. But Kevin's going to appreciate this. I can actually see both sides of this with with rule changes because, again, my team, the New England Patriots, uh, benefited 20 years from the tuck rule. Okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you right so now it's that was out for the you. wrong rule, and my team benefited from it. Now I'm on the other – now I'm dealing with this, so I can honestly tell you that this rule needed to be changed. But – you know, it it really you know, and again, it that was that was a painful lesson of of a rule, you know, and and I I know it's also something that we talk about that with some of these changes, you never know when there's a goal. We, we talk about that with VAR every time, and it really does take something out of the game. I'm sure you guys have talked about this a great deal. Mm. When you score a goal, how can you celebrate? The players can't really celebrate. Coaches really can't celebrate because you have to wait. And yeah. was that, you know, was that what VAR, was that the intention by, I always wanted VAR because I wanted to get it right, but it is taking something away, you know, the, the other mm. side of this, from celebrating a goal. It really is. Yeah, because either you just go for it and then you have the chance of being foolish or you reserve yourself in case it's not. Yeah, it's it's uh, really a big mess. Uh, I did just want to add one thing because, yes, we are all technically right that it was by rule correct to call that goal um, off for being an, an uh, unintentional handball. But I think it's also important to note that because his hand was literally off of his hip, if his arm didn't exist, which is what I, know, I have, and- I think, once, the play would have <laughs> unfolded exactly the same way. We've talked about that on Cottage Talk. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's very silly. And, uh, you know, insert all of your straight jacket memes here. Um, we'll wrap it up with one more Fulham thing. I'm not going to ask if you guys think Fulham will stay up because Russell just say definitely yes. So let's just imagine it's three months in the future and you have heard that Fulham stayed up. At whose expense would you most think it was at? Um, Newcastle. I think they're pretty clearly the worst team of the not of the teams that are not currently in the relegation zone um granite brighton are <laughs> uh god does not like brighton for whoever's out there just doesn't like Brighton. <laughs> they're not not a fan um, um but i do think newcastle are quite bad um to be i don't think they have a lot of talent and i don't think they have a pretty good manager so um and they're really bad last season they're not good this season so yeah if if, if you're telling me fulham stay up i'm pretty confident it's um it's Newcastle, though the um, pes- I don't know, is it pessimist anarchist in me says it's probably Brighton, but <laughs> the, the rational person says Newcastle. I'm going to say Newcastle, but Kevin, you and I were talking about this off air. You actually made an argument for it to be Brighton, and mm. it's actually a decent argument, honestly, because for whatever reason, Brighton, they looked the part. They act a part of a of a Premier League team that actually should be mid table, should be, but the problem is they're not. They're absolutely not. They are where they are. The t- as we always say, the table doesn't lie. There's a reason why they're down there. So, can he fix it? Can he get them to score goals? And right now, you know, again, 
I watch them. I think they play attractive football, but they're not scoring the goals. They're not getting the victories. So for me, it's you actually made me think a little bit more about it because my initial thoughts were, sorry, Jake, Newcastle United, because I, like Dan said, watching them can be tough, but to a Newcastle supporter, they can point to a couple things. Their injury injuries will they will get over their injuries. Callum Wilson will return. The other players will return at probably a pivotal time. So if it's you know if Fulham stay up, I think it's going to be Newcastle, but I wouldn't sleep on Brighton. You want to hear something devastating? Oh, are we Go getting ahead. some understats? Brighton had the fourth best expected goal difference in the league, according to Football <laughs> Reference. Yep, there and you I go. Mean, and some of it is just, uh, God, like the West Brom game, they literally just went and missed two pens. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, on on under that as well as we cross reference our our XG databases, uh, they are sixth uh, in expected goals this season, underperforming by fourteen point seven goals wow. uh that's bad also if you and want like, to feel again, a little bit better Palace russ you're Palace just 10 <laughs> that you should have scored more alice scored with both their shots on target against and two of their three shots total against brighton whereas brighton you know scored yeah, with one of their winner yeah what, 24 shots yeah and i think is. russ I, I think you make a really good point about how how they behave because i know in our big transfer shows that dave and i do every uh half year we yep. keep talking about the good signings that they're making but they keep signing really talented young players like McAllister. Right. They'll make smart business like bringing over Veltman on the cheap. They do yeah. dumb things like playing a six foot seven player as left back. But they, well, don't they, get me started on Dan Burn. You can't. Um, but they they keep operating as though they're a mid table club that they don't have to worry about the drop that they're going to continue to build towards the future. And I think they've made some really smart signings following that model. But they're just not improving. On, on where they should be. And I agree with you guys. I think they play a, a relatively attractive style of football. Yeah. Definitely among the group that they're being linked with at the bottom of that table. They're probably one of the best, if not the best. Sorry, Russ. Um, yeah. But yeah, they just they just can't turn it into wins. And you do just have to worry about Graham Potter's sanity of him just watching every week as they play pretty well. You know, halves or entire games where they look like the better team and then You're come away with nothing Klopp, or a how point. How would you like to be this guy? Yeah, it's it's definitely rough. Uh, for Graham Potter at the moment. But yeah, I, I can totally see why the impulse reaction is Newcastle. I just think Brighton could absolutely be the ones that go down, just like Bournemouth. We thought were too get good in attack to go down. Uh, and then Newcastle just took both of their players, and now they're down there too, not to cast any particular aspersions, but that's pretty interesting. Um, and uh, we talked before the show. Uh, I don't think XG existed yet, but are Brighton just basically doing what Blackpool did? Um, where they got all the plaudits, everybody complimented them on the play style, and then it still wasn't enough at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think those two are the most likely. I mean, Burnley are just two wins away, mathematically-ish, from being safe, so I don't really think it's them. So I do think it's just the three of Newcastle, Brighton, and Fulham with with West Brom and Sheffield United already basically down. It is worth noting, though, if West Brom had made all of their January signings in the summer, that conversation might be a little bit different. But as things stand, yeah, also, I think it's... Having from the beginning of the season probably would have helped. Which I hate because I actually kind of like Slavin Bilic despite his West Ham ties. But yeah, yeah. I think it's well, Newcastle, Brighton, and like, Fulham that's that are down a there. Sla- a shade at Slavin Bilic. Allardyce is just very, very good. At, He's at a really good he manager. He just yeah. plays. He he just plays the style he does, which um you know makes people uh 
means better clubs aren't going to get him because yep. no one wants to watch that. Yeah, and worth noting, this is probably going to be his first relegation, barring something will, yeah, insane certainly. over also, the last 10 matches. Also, on the Blackpool note, Blackpool may have scored a lot, but they also were horrible defensively. Oh, they gave they conceded 78 goals. Their goal, their goal difference was minus 23, so I, I don't have data because it, it is not public if it exists. Um but I, I don't think they're in the same kind of... That's um, fair. Yeah, Brighton, much Brighton. better defensively. Because that's than... the thing. Brighton's um, defensive record... Um, well, their defensive record is fine. Their expected defensive record is even better, I believe. Um, yeah, they had the third lowest expected goals allowed. Like they're, uh, they're, and even their actual goals allowed is solid. It's like mid-table. Uh, they yeah, only just 35. 35. Out of 27, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think there's a difference there. Because, um, like, there's a difference between playing pretty and playing well um and i think brighton are playing both pretty and well and just being screwed I just have the uh, worst luck yeah because like even if you think you know maybe there's some confidence or whatever factor going into this to underperform your uh expected goal difference by was it 19 goals is just insane like even if you think there's some like one or two factors but it, the metric isn't picking up then you'd still expect them to be like a, a neutral goal difference team mm. where they're probably like you know 11th or 12th and there's reason to there's reason like it's i'm perfectly fine with you thinking brighton's not the fourth best team i don't think they're fourth best team no matter even if that's what the numbers technically say um but i do, i definitely don't think even it is just a reasonable level of bad variance that they're this low down the table um and i actually do think the table does lie quite regularly mm -hmm. um to some extent obviously it doesn't matter that it lies but i do think it lies a bit in terms of we're just measuring team quality yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. So uh, either Brighton are about to have the hardest regression to the mean and <laughs> finish like 12th, uh, or uh, yeah, I think uh, they're in that group with Newcastle, Brighton, and Fulham as, as the most likely candidates for that third spot down. And Russ, certainly best of luck. Would love to have you on the show next year. In terms of EPL Roundtable guests, I vote Brighton because then you and Jake <laughs> both stay on this show for next season. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Dan, we'll start off with you talking about Arsenal. Obviously, the form has been a bit up and down, but the good news is you're getting a lot of contributions from some of your younger players. Uh, Bakayo Saka looks very much the real deal. You had Emil Smith-Rowe there starting for a while. You bring in Odegaard on loan, although there's no option to buy. Are we thinking that you're just basically giving up on this season where you finish is where you finish, and now you're just like laying the building blocks for what the future of this Arsenal team will be? 
that's how I'm looking at it. I don't know if that's necessarily how the club is looking at it. That's how I've been. I've been looking at it that way for probably since December, maybe even earlier. Um, like we were so bad to begin with um, that it's like in my mind, the, the Premier League season has been over for a while. Um, but as I was saying off air, I, this is actually the most positive I've been about Arsenal since uh, at least like the January, February time of, 20, of Unai Emery's first season um, when we went and beat uh, Manchester United and were actually playing some decent football. Because um, the beginning of that season, we had a crazy run of results, but our numbers, our underlying numbers weren't very good. There was a short stretch there in early 2019 when we were both getting good results and playing well. Um, so it, this is the most positive I've been since at least then, maybe even earlier. Um, because we look like a solid top six team right now. Um, as much as some of the results have not necessarily gone our way recently, um, the way we're playing is quite encouraging, and the fact and the contributions we're getting from young players is uh, huge. It's just massive. But Bukayo Saka just continues to defy even my best expectations every single week. Um, like I keep expecting, because you know, uh, not all progression is linear. It's not like he's gonna not like any young player goes on just a path straight up. Um, there's always, you know, some kind of peaks and troughs, but he just keep, he keeps getting better. Um, and he's like every week he pulls out something new. The fact that he is an end product machine now is not something we saw six months ago. Um, and the fact that's the case takes his ceiling to a whole new level. Um, he's an insane talent. Um, and the, like, he gives me hope for, beyond anything we've had the past two years. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe has, incre- has made us a better team. Um, I'm not sure he's... He's definitely not the same level of talent as Saka, but he's um, he's at least helped us now and could help us in the future. I, he's more of a guy who I think is a young... who's good for a young player as opposed to good, whereas Saka's just, just a good stop. player. Yeah, um, yeah Saka's just... He's good, like, you know, get rid of any qualifiers. He's just good. Smith-Rowe, I think, is good for a young player. Um and then his style has has helped us because he's just very quick on the ball. He makes us pe- play a lot quicker, um, which is something that even Odegaard does, um, as good as he is. And he's Odegaard's probably better technically, but Smith Rowe is just he just speeds stuff up, um, which is it's a big change. If uh, like, like everything has changed since um, we started playing Saka further forward and switched to a four two three one against Chelsea on Boxing Day. And if you watch the games, one of the bigger changes is we are just quicker we play quicker um prior to uh, previous to that it was a very slow structured build up um and there is still some of that we do still do lots of um slow build up there is also once we hit the final third we're much uh much quicker around the box much more we get from we progress the ball uh much more directly um and a lot of those thanks to having probably having a 10 helps but that 10 being smith throat does help a lot um yeah, the team just, it's honest, we look so much better. So as much as the Burnley result um, yesterday was frustrating um, and some of the other results, like the Wolves defeat was another one where we played really well in the first half and then, you know, stuff went against us, with that happens. Um, but there's been plenty of, even though the results haven't been great, um, the performances have been very encouraging. So as much as this league season is probably over, I I feel pretty pretty good going forward 
Gotcha. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Premier League season is not over yet, and you did just suffer the the draw with Burnley after a very odd mistake from Granit Xhaka led to Chris Wood accidentally hitting the ball uh, into the net. After the match, um, Burnt Leno was asked about it, and he said, these are the kind of, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but basically these are the kinds of things that can happen when you play our style. Do you... By that at all? How does that hit you as an Arsenal fan to be like, this weird own goal is as a result of our style of play? And if it is, why wouldn't you just not play in a way that could lead to something like that? Uh, well, the, the argument against or in favor of the, you know, the style is that's how we scored. Um, if you look at the goal, um, we brought a lot of pressure onto the players. Party and Jaka played around it. And then we got uh, Willian running in on goal to get a bombing in a 1v1, which he won and shot and scored. Um, and I, I don't think it's nece- like that kind of extreme mistake is necessarily it should be a you know mark a part of the style. Um, but I'm sure some of that is him covering for Xhaka because um, he's helped. I he's somewhere at least in the non-official hierarchy. He's probably at the top of it. I know all the players love him. Um, so and you know covering for your teammates is what you do, um, but. Look, Jaka, and some people are blaming Leno for that, which I kind of understand. Oh, like but don't I pass don't it to him under pressure. Yeah, don't pass it to him. But like Jaka should not should not hit it into Chris Wood. That's that's really what he should do. Uh, what he should not do. Um, so I don't. As much as I'll I'll agree that some mistakes are part of the style. I do think the style is worth it. Like the style, the, the point of it isn't just to look pretty. It's because it's effective, and it's because um, we scored plenty of goals because we've been able to draw teams onto us, play through them, and then get in with a numbers advantage. Um, that's the point of it. It's not just to look pretty. Um, so I, I do think the style is worth it. Those kind of mistakes, I would expect, I would not expect them week in, week out. Um, so I think it's fine to play that way. I think that was more covering for Xhaka than anything. Mm. Um and I think there's a kernel of truth to it, but the extreme point of it is covering for Shaka, and Shaka should just not do that thing. Just don't don't pass it into the other there players. There are a chest. lot of things that Shaka shouldn't do that he You're does not wrong. intermittently. You're really not wrong. Great <laughs> Shaka is he's so much less interesting than his narrative structure suggests because there's so much of him where the the opinion goes up and down and up and down and up and down because he'll he'll make us good mistake and then he'll be brilliant for four matches for three weeks in a row and yep. then he'll make another dumb mistake real and like the the opinions of him and arsenal Twitter shift so regularly and it's quite crazy when he is just a fine europe league level player that's what he is he, <laughs> he, like his his actual level is quite stagnant or it's or quite static um yeah. but he's he is the line from the show chernobyl like not great not terrible that's that's what he is and he always is that um the highs are never actually that high, and the lows are probably not actually that low. Mm, gotcha. All right, well, coming to you now, Russ, we mentioned it at the top of the show, uh, Fulham beat Liverpool. I don't know if you heard about that. Um, so I figured uh, we should talk about what do, you, what do you view Fulham did well? Because, of course, uh, very frequently the media narrative in these situations is what Liverpool did badly. So uh, in your eyes, what did Fulham do to, to get that win today? Well, it's simple to put it this way and they played as a team they played for 90 plus minutes and they wanted it more and and i I know that's 
an old cliche that one team wants it more. And uh, I've heard some comments uh, that someone said that to Klopp and he he didn't want to really go there. At least that's what I've been told was his reaction to it. But when you play together as a team and you put together a performance where you try to take away what Liverpool want to do and also create opportunities yourself, you can be successful. And Fulham, again, they did enough to get the victory. And uh, not always have, have they played well and gotten all three points. And this is an instance when they did. But what it really comes down to is playing together as a team and um, still not scoring a lot of goals, still not taking advantage of their opportunities. They, Again, they're just not clinical enough. But the reason why that they can win and the reason why that they can continue to get points is that they are one of the best defenses in the league now. Now I can say that now. And they are so difficult to beat. When you have a world-class goalkeeper, and I'm going to call him that, if you see the save that he made against mm-hmm. Jota, you probably agree with me. He's a world-class goalkeeper. When you have someone like that and you have a center-back pairing that is now growing into the role where they are just dominant when they are on it. And it's funny because credit to Tottenham Hotspur because they actually made things a little bit difficult for these two a few days ago. But against Liverpool, they got it done. But what it really comes down to is a team playing for each other. And um, if you go back, the best way to describe a team victory is a clearance from Anderson, Joachim Anderson, in stoppage time. He clears the ball off the line and solidifies basically Fulham's victory. Watch his reaction. He's high-fiving his teammates. Hmm. That, to me, tells you all you need to know about what's going on at Fulham. They're playing for each other. They're winning together. They are playing together as a team. That's how they're winning. That's how they're in all these matches is that not only are, are they in the matches, but they're also, as we would say here, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. They're drinking what Scott Parker is telling them to do. They are listening to Parker, and they're playing for Parker. And Parker got his tactics spot on. He's only improving as a manager as the season goes along. And I've said this on this show, and I've said it on my show on many occasions. He was not my choice. Mm. But you know what? When you give a manager a chance to grow into the role and learn his craft, you can be rewarded. We're being rewarded right now by Fulham because you are seeing potentially a very good manager grow into his role. So when you put all that together, that's what I took out of this match. The reason why Fulham won this match is the tactics from Scott Parker, the players executing the plan, and them playing together as a team. I know it's simple to say it that way, but that's what I got out of it. For whatever it's worth, and it's one-season goalkeeper metrics are questionable, but, um, you know, just to put it into the uh, conversation, Areola is second in the league in uh, stats bombs, essentially goalkeeper data. Um, it, the, the name is quite long and somewhat confusing. It's post-shot <laughs> stuff, but hmm. it, he's, he's behind only Emmy Martinez in essentially goals saved. It's not quite that straightforward, but that's what it basically right. means. Yeah, very unsurprising. We, we all knew how good he could be. I think the question as he was leaving 
France slash Spain <laughs> after the weird swap that the PSG of Real Madrid did was if he would be able to get back there with regular minutes and he got back to his best pretty quickly. Um, you mentioned uh, him and Joachim Anderson uh, both on loan. Do you have buy options for either of them? For Ariel, we do. For that's very good. News. Anderson, unfortunately, we do not, and that's been a, a a contentious discussion with home supporters when they did sign him on loan uh, because uh, Tony Khan over the summer basically said, paraphrasing that he didn't want to take players that you know were for other teams. Basically, unless there was this option, option to buy. And the player that they were that he was focusing on, Kevin, was Ryan Sessegnon. So I just thought I'd mention that. Well, whoops. That, yeah. So so, but I mean, with with Anderson, it's funny because I think Fulham, if they stay in this division, and I do hope that they do, they will make every effort to try to sign him. But what was interesting is that what part of the reason why they were able to get him is that Tony Khan was it, it was a business decision because the price was so high. And by the end of the window, it really became advantageous to the point of um, wanting to do the deal. And actually, it was a good business deal. But the problem with the good business deal is it doesn't have an option to buy. So my concern is that Fulham will stay in the league and they'll try to sign Anderson. But someone else will try to, to take him away from Fulham. And I wouldn't blame them if they did because he's that good. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds me of a similar situation um, with what Toby Alderweireld was at Southampton, where Southampton didn't have an option to buy. They thought that they were going to be able to just buy him outright from Atletico Madrid, and then Tottenham just bid like a million more um, just to be able to get him. And I do think somebody's going to pay a lot of money for Joachim Anderson. I agree with that. Yeah, he's, he's very good. And a thing that I'm noticing this season as Tottenham's defense has been uh, shambolic at times is that you really need a good communicator in the back line. That yep. If it's your best defender, that's great. It doesn't have to be your best defender, though. Just somebody needs to be willing to organize. And I think he's for us, that was Vertonghen. the entire match. Kevin. Yeah, I know. He's, he's running the entire de- uh, defense. And so yep. a lot of clubs that have talented center backs, like if you look at Manchester United with Baye and Lindelof and a Maguire, I know he gets a lot of stick, but they need somebody that's actually going to lead that line. A defense like that, a defense like Tottenham's, where there's a lack of leadership in the back line, would not only benefit from his ability, but also if from... If he goes to Tottenham, I'm telling you, I'm never coming back on the show. <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, we were obviously interested when he was leaving, I think it was Sampdoria. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do not think uh, that's the direction we would go, considering we have to buy like 17 English players to get okay homegrown <laughs> rules-wise. Um, uh, all right, uh, and then my last question for you was uh, about Angisa. The last time yep. we talked, he was amazing. He was running the show. Now he's missed something like six of the last ten matches for Fulham. Yes. I was just curious what's going on there. Well, I can't confirm this because the club has not said anything, and it's for privacy reasons. But we believe that Angisa was one of the players that got COVID, and uh, he has not been the same player since he returned. In fact, I believe the match he returned was against Tottenham, if if I remember correctly. And ever since then, he just has not been to that level. And that also brings up a whole conversation maybe over the summer we could really talk about, and I think other shows should talk about, the effects 
that COVID-19 could have on professional mm. athletes because like I don't physically think we really and know mentally? physically and mentally because I think it's twofold. I don't think it's just physically. I think it's also mentally. I think it does a number on you. And uh, we believe, again, we don't, the club has not said anything. We believe he's one of the players. So he has n- not looked the same since then. So I think that's a factor. But another uh good thing that Fulham have is we do have some depth at some positions and this is the growth of Parker as a manager, Kevin, that I think is a factor in this as well, is that he can play Mario Lamina if he wants. He could sit Ruben Loftus-Cheek today if he wants. He's mixing and matching per the opponent. So I think some of it could be opponent driven, but I also think some of it is fitness related going back to COVID-19. Interesting. Well, if that's the case, and as you said, it isn't confirmed, then definitely uh, hope he recovers soon in all aspects because he is uh, really quite a player when he's on. He is. All right, now we'll go into Player Watch, where I wanted to talk to you guys about players at our club that might be getting more or less minutes than you think they deserve uh, at the moment. Um, for Arsenal, uh, I guess Alexander Lacazette is probably... It uh, depends on how much you paid attention to transfer news. Um, there's... Some pretty strong rumors he's on his way out um and he was he was quite good for us around um christmas time but he struggled as of late um which i think he was starting to get pulled out of the team before then um so he's probably not playing as much Aubameyang has kind of has recaptured that role up top um and i i think lax it's honestly still a pretty good player and at least for a time of this a part of the season um he was definitely better than Aubameyang, but also we should absolutely sell him this summer. So I'm fine with phasing him out. Um, but as much as I think he might be better, he might be a better player for the next two or three years than Aubameyang. Um, we're not going to be able to move Aubameyang on his contract. So uh, getting something for Lacazette right now, uh, or getting something for Lacazette period um, is probably the best uh, option when it comes to dealing with our aging striker problem. For me, it's going to be an interesting one, and it's a polarizing topic amongst home supporters. And it might surprise you guys. I, I It might or might not, and that's Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, mm. it, again, if you mention his name, half are going to say, oh, they see the value in him. The other half are going to say, I cannot stand him. And there's no middle ground when it comes to this player amongst home supporters. because We all see the potential. We all remember his time at Crystal Palace. We all remember what he has done in the past. Played for England. But the problem is he came to Fulham still recovering from an injury, really not back to full fitness. He's a player that teases you with his physical ability. And, you know, I read an article where he's quoted and he basically saying that he's starting to feel that he's getting back to where he is and that the goals are going to come guys. The goals haven't come. And I think that's also a bone of contention is that he does nine out of 10 things. Great. Except put the ball in the back of the net. He can look great, but then again, you watch some of his shots and you're going to think, is this Ruben Loftus cheek? So I think, if you go on Twitter and you look up Ruben Loftus-Cheek after this show or you listen to this show and just put in his name and you see the comments before the 
the match today, where when the starting eleven came out, I'll guarantee you, you're going to see a lot of comments where a lot of film supporters were happy that he did not start. So that kind of tells you the situation that we're in with him because the manager, you could tell, really likes Ruben Loftus-Cheek and is playing him a great deal. But he made the decision today not to start him. And Fulham won the match. So I don't know what's going to happen with him moving forward because I also think it's part of what's going on with Parker. He's growing as a manager, and I think he looks more to the opponent rather than to who is on form. And I think that's also a positive. Mm. So I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek might not be playing as much as he has been in the past, partially because of who they're playing, and that might be a factor. Going back to we were talking about Nguisa, there are players that, I, again, have been very effective. You know, Harrison Reed has has blossomed in his role. So Mario Lamina now has shown how he has been able to really grow into his role. So it's, you know, it's a good problem to have, but for Scott Parker, but when it comes down to a polarizing player, a player's minutes that Fulham fans are watching, it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. And as you mentioned, it's a big step forward for a manager when they're able to start looking at the opponent um, instead right. of just trying to reward players inside the dressing room how they see fit. Um, we will wrap up with match previews. Dan, we'll, we'll lead off with you. Uh, Going to be playing Olympiacos. I have stopped saying where because that's getting very confusing based on all the COVID policies. But you're playing a Greek team. Whether or not it's in Greece, I do not know. Uh, what are you expecting to see in this match? Um, We cannot get away from Olympiacos no matter how hard we try. That was supposed to be one of the, like, very few good things about the Europa League. We'd have fewer, or we'd have some new teams. Nope, <laughs> we play. Olymp- we went out to Olympiacos last year, and now we play them again. Um, as far as what I'm expecting, uh, I'm weirdly confident. Um, maybe not confident, but I, I don't feel bad going into a tie against a decent enough team. Um, I think we should, we should win. Uh, I don't, or at least put ourselves in a good position for the second leg. Um, as you said, the whole where the game is being played is never certain until like the last minute. It's ridiculous. And the also, this is not for this time; it's for the last one. But the the fact that we did away goals when neither team played a home game <laughs> and like the, every goal was an away goal. It, you, I guess, you have to keep it for the integrity of the competition. But boy, was that annoying! Um, and just didn't make any sense to in my head. Like, uh, that that was so frustrating. <laughs> But um, back to this match. Um, I think we're in a pretty good shape. Um, we did some, we've done some rotation over the last two weeks. Um, so the sh- legs should be as fresh as they can be in this season. Um, and I think we're, like I said, I think we're a pretty good team now. So I'm, re- I'm as confident as I'm going to be for uh, a European game in the last like year or two. So I feel pretty good. Uh, I think we should be in a position to move on and hopefully uh, in a couple weeks could move to the quarterfinals. Gotcha. And then Russ, this is the last of your three game murderers row uh, where mm. fans of other clubs were hoping you were going to drop uh, all nine points. You've already gotten three. Are you thinking yep. maybe you can, you can pip a fourth year up against city? No, I don't. I, I, I'd like to, come on here and tell you that I think Fulham are going to get a point against Manchester City. And I understand what just happened to them today. Okay, I get that. But 
uh, Manchester City to govern a league of their own. And I, I, I think it would be very bold of me to say Fulham can get a point, even at, at Craven Cottage against this team. I, I just think that they're just by themselves. So I'd like to be positive on this, but that was, a, yeah, as we're already talking about, it's a free hit for Fulham because, again, no one's expecting any, anything from that. And and I was kind of looking at it that way anyway. So I'm not, I'm not expecting anything from the match. I just uh, want the players to um, continue playing with confidence the way that they've been playing. And that's what's great about watching this team and what has transpired. And, Dan, it's actually good to have you on the show because I can go back to the first match of the season where Fulham were coming off of the championship and basically put a championship side against Arsenal, which is really not what you want to do. And look at it from that match on. And Fulham were embarrassed at Craven Cottage, the first match of the season. And you look at how many players have come to the team since then and that are, are playing with Fulham now. I mean, the, if you go to the – I would have to go check the starting 11 back then, but it's it's so different now. And um, when I look at Fulham now and, and they're about to play Manchester City, it's not one that I think they're going to get a point. But I, will, but I will tell you now that there isn't a team that Fulham can't play with besides Manchester City. And that I, and that I, I know I couldn't say two seasons ago. I can hmm. say that now. They can play with anyone. Kevin, you can attest to that. Fulham gave Tottenham everything that yeah. they could handle in two matches. And dare I say, should have gotten something from the match at Craven Cottage for obvious reasons that we've already talked about. But I have a lot of respect for Man City. They're the best of the best. And I just want my side to go out there and play with confidence and see what happens. Gotcha. And I did I did look it up. Um Reed and Cavalero are the only two survivors from <laughs> that opening day team. Think about oh, that. Wow. That's pretty Think impressive. That. <laughs> All right. Well, we will wrap up on that terrific stat. Uh, if you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now be a good time. Uh yeah, thanks for having me on. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. You can find me at Russ underscore Goldman and at Cottage Talk on those Twitter accounts. I also want to mention on Russ underscore Goldman, that's actually, if you follow me on Twitter, the Cottage Talk show goes live on my Twitter account, Russ underscore Goldman. So please feel free to follow me. Yep, definitely a great show. Unfortunately, wasn't able to make the latest Tottenham one, but had a blast when I was on previously in the season. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find this show at EPL Roundtable, and you can find it via EPL Roundtable if you type that into basically any of the podcasting services. Um, so yeah, thanks to you two so much for joining me today. We had a we had a grand old American time on this episode. <laughs> and uh, folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 